Welcome to the UK Ravens podcast, the only official, unofficial Baltimore Ravens podcast from the United Kingdom. We all met in London, lots of beers were drunk, and the Baltimore Ravens found the most heartbreaking way possible to lose. Welcome back to the UK Ravens podcast. My name is Gaz Paul, and I'm once again joined by a couple of friends who I met on the internet, Shane at Richmond and Ian Demain, both, all, all three of us, I guess, off the back of the London meet in the Fitzrovia Bell, which turned out to be the UK Bills head office, let's call it. Um, we actually had quite a decent, I mean, we had a better turnout, but we only do this once a year. They do that every week. It was um, an interesting night. Ian, um, the night went well. Good turnout. Are we going to do one of those again? Yeah, ridiculously good turnout. Actually, we were we were pretty much full, weren't we, on our side of the bar? Um, I think the, the bills probably made a little bit more noise than we did, but we need, we need to get some chants going or something next time. Um, no, we're not big chanters, are we? Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's the, 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 the they did have a lot of Americans over, didn't they? There was a, a lot of American accents going around, and us Brits don't chant. We just sit there and mutter. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got a very polite video when we scored our first touchdown of a, a very English clap. A very polite clap. There wasn't like <laughs> hooping and wallering. So yeah, I, I didn't post that one because it is it is very, very British. Good um, game, sir. Good game. Yeah, pretty pretty much. But but yeah, the 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 plan is we will hold another one uh a bit later on in, in the year in London. Um we had a good few people ask if we were gonna do another one. I think that's the biggest turnout we've had for for any meet, so that's that's pleasing. Uh, and we'll, we'll definitely look into to hosting at least one more in London this year um, with some some more dotted around the country as well. Excellent. Okay, so let's get straight into the game recap then. The sooner we tear the Band-Aid off... Um, Band-Aid? Plaster? Do we, do we tear the Band-Aid? You can't say tear the plaster off. American. It sounds wrong. Yeah, tear the plaster <laughs> sounds wrong. Anyway, we're off the rails already. Um, let's tear the Band-Aid or plaster, whichever you'd like, off and talk about another blown lead Shane a few times through the second half um, I mean I sat with you for the, the majority if not all of the game a few times in the second half we sort of looked at each other and said well we really need to score points here if we don't score any points here we've got a problem um, about three times during the third quarter that happened I think didn't it yeah and we didn't score points on any of those in fact we didn't <laughs> score points in the second half at all which was the problem um you know, overall, it, Ian said to me towards the end of the game, you know, if we'd, we'd said going in we were going to concede 23 points to the Bills, we'd be fairly happy with that. Uh, unfortunately, the offense wasn't able to to do any better. It was, it it was, it came down to that Ravens offense, Bills defense um, um, competition. Basically, if you look at the um, Football Outsiders. DVOA rankings, the Ravens have the number one offense, but the Bills have the number two defense. And that was the the big issue. The Ravens should have been able to, to do more, I think, on offense than they did. Lamar wasn't quite at his best. There were a few missed passes here and there. Um, they put put together some good drives. We're going to talk about the running game in a little bit, but ultimately they weren't able to get them into the end zone when it counted. Uh, Mark Andrews was taken out of the game by the Bills' defense, and nobody else was really able to step up. Rashad Bateman went out injured midway through the third quarter. It was just that it was you know it was good, but not quite enough. Um, but they are playing 
one of the best teams in in the NFL, and it came down to to the final drive of the game. So it was it was tight, but uh, I think we expected a bit more from the offense. It was one of those games that just came down to the odd play and just a few things. That, and I don't want to be the let's all blame the refs guy on the podcast, even though I usually am the let's all blame the refs guy on the podcast. But there were some hideous calls. I mean, the Mark Andrews offensive pass interference was shocking. I've not read the script. I'm not sure if we're going to talk about um, the quarterback hit and in basically Josh Allen basically just throwing a little tantrum on the floor the play before. So the next time it was sort of a bit of a, a hit on the quarterback getting the flag, which extended the last drive. Um, some questionable refereeing. Um, and again, it's, we, we're already, we're, what, we're five minutes into the podcast and his name's already going to come up. Patrick Queen, right. I mean, I, 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 I threw things around the room. I had some... I don't know why we had beads. We had beaded necklaces and I had beaded necklaces in my hand and they were flying across the room because the football gods once again gifted Patrick Queen a game-changing play. Here, Patrick Queen, in your fancy single-digit jersey. Here's a here's an errand ball that you could probably just extend your arms out slightly, make a little bowl shape, the ball will fall right in there and, and you're off to the races. And once again... Just shocking. He must be spending all this week. If he's not on the drugs machine right now, I'll be really upset because that was, again, from Patrick Queen, absolutely shocking. The I guess you could you could say the game came down to um, John Harbour and fourth and goal. Should he have sent Justin Tucker out? Should he, I mean, let's be fair, Shane. We, we talked about it all the way through the second half. The Ravens' offense had done nothing and to be fair the Ravens defense although they'd put up a slightly bigger fight than what they might have done in previous weeks the the sort of the game script was going in a way that we knew as soon as we handed that ball back to Buffalo that they're going to march down the field and and score do you think adding three points there changes anything because I'm not sure that it does I think you, you've got to make them get in the end zone there yeah, I don't think it changes anything either. I mean, it's, you know, both sides of the ball, the Ravens started very hot and then gradually petered out. And so the defense played well. And you look at those um, football outsiders DVOA numbers again, and the Bills are not quite as good an offense as the Ravens. I think they rank about 10th, but the Ravens defense is 16th. So in terms of how the Ravens defense did against the Bills offense, they played above their level, but it had that look of, the Bills starting to click, starting to look better the more the game went on and the Ravens just kind of looking like they were hanging on. Um, there's been a lot of rows on social media this week about which way they should have gone. Lots of people saying Harbour needs to be fired for this. You know, it was like a, such a terrible misjudgment. But That's all, the, that's all like Twitter to overreact like that. <clears throat> I know, it's, it's, it is pretty unusual. Normally it's very, very um, restrained and proportionate, but uh, they seem to have lost it this week. Um I mean, ironically, the 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 Ravens' defense managed to keep the Bills out of the end zone while trying to let them in, um, which was not what any of us expected. They were trying to let them score and failed to do that. Um, but the Bills ended up with first and goal at like the one and a half yard line, kneeling the ball to kill the clock. 
I think it's really hard to say that they wouldn't have got a touchdown if they needed one. And if the Ravens had kicked the field goal, I think they would have lost 27-23. And then everyone would be saying, you've got a, a quarterback who's in MVP form. Why didn't you let him have a go at the end zone? I mean, ultimately, everything that could go wrong on that final play went wrong. The offensive line didn't hold up. Lamar had guys in his face, so he couldn't see that he actually had two uh, two different receivers open early on in that play. By the time he did see that Duvernay was open, he just basically had to fling it up there and hope. And the safety made an incredible play to get across to that ball. I mean, very few defensive backs would have made that pick. And the pick is absolutely the worst thing that could have happened because if that had gone incomplete, the Bills are starting at their one and a half yard line, which is a very different starting point with the scores level. So I think it was, I think it was a call that you can certainly justify making and it went about as badly wrong as it could do. I've I've heard people say that Harbaugh's showing no faith in his defense going for it on fourth down. I take a slightly different view in, in backing up just what Shane said there. If if that ball does fall incomplete and they start on the one and a half yard line, the, the Bills, surely Harbaugh's showing faith in his defense that he's going to get the ball back probably in in very good field position. If you get a three and out there, they punt it maybe to halfway. You're probably already within Justin Tucker's range. So I think the absolute worst outcome, as Shane said, is is the pick there. And they, they march the ball out to the what the 20, 25 yard line and, and off they go. Start from there, guys. And it is the modern NFL. I mean, we keep seeing these quotes from people on various talk shows saying this Ravens defense is really bad. It's it's much, much harder to play defense in the NFL than it was when the 2000 Ravens were around and when Rex Ryan was defensive coordinator. Everything goes in the the offense's favor. So it's it's not so much about John Harbaugh saying he doesn't have faith in his defense. It's about saying, if I've got a chance to put the touchdown on the board, I've got to take that because it's it's a league where it's easier to score points these days. After the game, me and Ian sat and had a beer and I sort of then started the commute back to the hotel and thought, you know what, I've, just been, I've been and had a really nice night with my friends and I've basically just suppressed everything that happened in the game. Just, I traveled a long way down to London. I had a work meeting the next morning that I, I knew I was going to with a hangover and then have to drive back up north. So I just sort of tried to make the most of the situation. We're down in London. We've all had a good time. What we're doing now is I've, I've taken the band-aid slash plaster off and I'm just gauge, get staring back into the open <laughs> wound of this game. Can we talk, and it's, again, it's not on the scripts, but and back to Gaz hates the referees. Can we talk about Lamar Jackson and what a first down is to these referees? Because, you know, was that not one of the most egregious calls you've ever seen in your life? You could see Lamar literally put the ball past the flag. I mean, he's looking straight at it. He knows where it is. So he just sort of puts the ball straight out. And they're like, nah, you're too yards short there, pal. Yeah. What, I mean, what was I'm that? I mean, he's he's looking as you say, he's looking right at it as he's as he's putting his arm out. So he's got to be fairly confident that that he's over. And um, I, I just sat back and watched Shane and yourself have an absolute meltdown over that. That was <laughs> that was good fun. But no, you're you're, you're right. I I mean, I hate I hate banging on about refs. And and uh, there was definitely some calls that went against the Bills in this game. I just think I, I think I saw that the Ravens came into this game as the least penalised team in in the NFL. Well, they certainly left after the game somewhere in the middle of the field because because they they took some shockers in this one. But yeah, there's I think Jerome Berger and his and his crew are, are going to get a rap on the knuckles this week. Right. Okay. Let's try and talk me off this um, cliff. Then let's talk about some positives. Defense 
holds Buffalo 23 points. We've, we've all mentioned at some point already on the podcast, if you'd have told us that going in, we'd have, we'd have fancied his chances. Does this show improvement from the defence? Notice that number five wasn't playing, by the way. I think it's, it's definitely an improvement. You have to take into account the weather. The weather was definitely a factor. I think Diggs dropped a, a, a surefire touchdown, didn't he, in the end zone? Um, but I, I do think this secondary is playing better. I think Marcus Peters is, is getting back. He's obviously still got the fire in him. You, you saw his, his absolute outburst at Harbour. Um, but quietly, Marlon Humphrey's having a, a really good year. You go, go and watch Marlon. He's... I think he came up with a pick in this game, didn't he, early? And, and yep. I mean, he gave the offence the first seven points. He started them at what, inside the 10-yard line with that return as well. So gave gave Lamar and the crew seven points to start with. Um, so the secondary, I've always said, I, I think we're okay with the, the Marcus Williams signing. I like. I think the secondary is good. How Jason Pierre-Paul played that many snaps? He, he, he played nearly every snap in this game. He literally got off the sofa and played nearly every snap. He wasn't much of a threat as a as a rusher. He, I don't think he got near near the quarterback much, but he's out there and, and he's trying his best. It's that same old thing of we we need bodies. Uh Bowser needs to get back. Um and, and the sooner they can well, if they ever get a Jarbo out there as well, it's, that's what's going to kill this this Ravens defence is the front seven. Well, we've got an interesting test coming up in the um, week ahead with the Cincinnati Bengals and their offensive power, firepower coming to town. Now, their offensive line has been it's not quite struggling, but not quite as good as what they thought they were going to be. So it's a, quite a good week for um, Adafi away and Jason Pierre-Paul to get healthy and start sort of getting Joe Burrow on the ground. So let, let's see how that one goes. Yeah, there's a big difference between uh, Joe Burrow's performance when he's pressured and when he's not. So if they can get him under pressure, that's going to be absolutely crucial to doing something in that game. But at the moment, like Ian says, they're having to to rotate guys who you would rather just have focus on rushing the passer. They're having to rotate them into coverage. Um, you know, that's something Owe was doing much more than he would want to do, I think. And the same with, with Jason Pierre-Paul. So more people they can get back, the more they can get everyone back into the roles that suit them best, rather than just try and sort of fill bodies on the field. And I do wonder how much of that is an issue for Patrick Queen as well. Last year, they seemed to get an improvement in his play when they really focused on putting him in positions to do what he does best. I wonder whether he's being asked to do more this season and a, a wider range of things just because of the availability of guys at, at the linebacker position. So another positive to come out of the game then, J.K. Dobbins and Justice Hill show some life in the run game. Um, is this all on the running backs, Shane, or has the offensive line also started to to step up? We're going to talk about Daniel Falele in a second now. I think the whole thing is running a little bit better. I mean, Dobbins seems to be improving week on week. Um, if you take his biggest run out of this, then he was only about two yards a carry, so nothing spectacular. Um, it looks a lot better when you throw in his 16-yard longest run. Justin Hill was, I thought, particularly impressive. I mean, really solid performance from him pretty much every time he got the ball. And then, of course, you know, the the way things are going for the Ravens <laughs> and have been for 
um, well over a season now. He ended up uh, injuring his hamstring. Even then, that run on which he pulled his hamstring, rather than, you know, falling to the ground, which is what most of us would do, or running out of bounds, which would have been entirely fine, even for a professional athlete, he cut inside and carried on going. He was just like, I'm just going to, yeah, I'm going towards the defenders. I'm just going to power past (laughs) while basically hopping along the field. I thought Justin Hill had a fantastic game. Um, And hopefully we're not going to miss him for too long because I think he's really, he's just really uh, come on hugely this season. But I think it was a bit of both. It was kind of the the offensive line did seem to be opening um, holes better than they had been, seemed to be a bit more coordinated. There seemed to be more of a direct attack from Greg Roman as well. He seemed to be kind of going more straight at the Bills. There was sort of not so much of the complicated motion there was a bit some of that misdirection but not as much of the complicated stuff that I think had uh, on occasion confused um, some of the blockers and and put them in in the wrong place but there was still as we mentioned earlier there were still those plays where the blockers were just not in the right position there should have been that final drive for example there should have been an easy um, rushing touchdown for Dobbins but um the right-hand side of the line, which is where he was trying to go. Uh, I think it was, um, it was, was it the right guard or was it, um, was it Moses? I, I can't remember. Either, either right guard or right tackle, basically one of them just completely messed up his block. And at that point, everybody else was trying to just limit the damage and it stopped Dobbins getting into the end zone at all. So there are still breakdowns, but that was, I think that was their best rushing performance of the season. And when you take into account the fact that it was against the Bills, I think we can be pretty happy with that. Yeah, I think in the moment when we saw um, Justice Hill come up lame, we, I think all of us thought, well, that's an ACL or it's a, it's it's something knee and, and that's him done for the year. So actually a pulled hamstring is probably one of the better things we could have hoped for in in that situation for, for a player to come up limp like that and have a chance to still see him again this year. We'll take that. We, you mentioned the offensive line and um, Daniel Farlele, not Farlele. I don't know how the commentators did this week, actually. I weren't really listening to them because we were in a, a pub group atmosphere. Um, Daniel Farlele had his first career start um, for the Ravens at left tackle, going up against future Hall of Famer Von Miller for most of the day and allowed no sacks. Zero sacks. That is, I mean, that is just about as good as, as what you can get. He had a, if you believe anything that PFF put out, a pass blocking grade of 60, an overall grade of 56.4. Um, but for the most part, Daniel Falele is looking like we, we we might have found a bit of a plug there. Ian, me and you spoke after the game over a beer and there was some sort of like soft announcement that the Ravens were going to be holding an extra press conference on a Monday afternoon. And and where did mine and your heads both go for that? So straight away they went to, oh, that's, we both had a fair amount of beer at this stage, <laughs> but but both of us straight away, well, that's Ronnie Stanley retirement. That's locked that in, that's done. <laughs> and <laughs> I think in the moment we, we felt a little bit better about it because of how Falele had played. Like like you say, that's, that's a hell of a baptism of fire for a guy that's never played left tackle to go in there against Von Miller and and that Buffalo front is no no joke. And yes, he got beat a few times, but but there's also reps of him holding up as well. And he had help. You've got to remember this is a, a rookie playing left tackle who's got no right to be over there. Absolutely no right to be going up one on one with Von Miller. So um 
what whatever they get out of him is an, is an absolute bonus. And if they've if they've stumbled across one, then then great. I've seen a lot of people started started chatting now about if and when Stanley comes back, do you move him over to right? Keep Stanley at left tackle, obviously, and move Fellaini over to right tackle where Morgan Moses is is struggling a little bit in the run game, struggling to move people. His pass blocking is good, but obviously Fellaini's a, a lot bigger and he's 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 able to move people a little bit easier. So it just gives you options. Makari's going to, I think he's practicing today. So again, gives gives you more options along that line, um, which which was something we came into the season having big question marks over. If if Fellaini goes back to the bench and he's and he's sat there, and I think we'd all feel a little bit more confident about about him being there if if and when needed. So um, I I think he he did really well. The, the other guy I wanted to mention on the offensive line is is Linderbaum who has been really solid. He had a horror show with penalties in this game. I think it was three... Ian, three... Ian can I just stop you there? Because I, I was going to also add Linderbaum to... Have you ever seen a centre? I, I, I not just don't not three times in a game. I haven't seen three I don't times. Understand how, I don't understand how a centre can false start. He has the ball. Well, we were talking about this. We were talking about this in the pub, so I looked at it um, earlier in the week just to, to answer this question. He was he's doing like a weird flinch, which makes it look like he's going to snap the ball, but he doesn't move the ball. So he's kind of he's creating the impression, as far as the defenders are concerned, that the play is going to start. So he is false starting. But you're right. I mean, you don't normally see centers do that. It's a very it's like a weird little tick. And there's there have been every now and again, some centers are able to do stuff that they get away with. Like some centers have done a whole sort of thing where they kind of look left and right before they snap it or they look back at the quarterback before they snap the ball. They kind of allow some movements and not others, but his movement, it's this weird sort of thing with his back as if he is about to move forward and then he doesn't actually move forward and then he snaps the ball. So it is a false start. Um, but then, you know, and as 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 Ian says, I mean, we've I think we have to be impressed with Furlele and what he's done, particularly when you take into account how far away his feet are from his brain. Like that's a really astonishing feat of of, of biological engineering. <laughs> Sorry, Ian, carry on on Lindebaum because I, you you were making a solid point, and I, he has actually had a really good start to the season. Yeah, I, I just wanted to point out because I think a lot of a lot of people won't even notice him; it will just go go unnoticed that how how solid he's been. I don't think he's he's allowed a, a sack this season up the middle, and he's played against some some very good big guys. Um, and he's been really solid in, in pass protection, and and his run run blocking is getting a lot better in a scheme that that James and and a few others have told us isn't particularly suited to him. That they're doing a bit more to get to get play to his strengths now than they were before. But um, yeah, I've been really impressed with Linda Barnes so far. Um, I don't want to talk about the negatives of the game. Everyone's watched it. We all know what happened. I think we should just sort of pick a raven in the week and, and, and move on at this point. And before we get off Linderbaum, have I dreamt this? Or were there, were there talks about a possible purchase of a Linderbaum jersey from you? No, so every year, I, I yeah, I, I buy a rookie jersey. And I was looking really hard at Linderbaum this year. But I just the number 64 in a centre, like... It has to be likely. I, I said this at the pub. I need likely to start getting involved, start catching some balls, and then then his jersey will be mine. And that, that'll that look great hung up. But yeah, I, I don't think I can go for a centre. Yeah. A couple of... just to, we'll, we'll touch over the negatives. Um, 
offence yeah, laid an egg in the second half. Which it was just a, a game of two halves. We looked so good in the first half and a complete meltdown in the second. We had Bateman dropped, dropped an absolute sitter. You could blame the conditions. It was a bit wet and windy out there and Lamar really put it on him quite quickly. But it was another one of those where it was a, a slant and before you know it, Bateman could have been in the end zone. Um, the Bills' defence played Mark Andrews well. Struggling to get him in the game. Um, Bateman did eventually leave with a boot on his foot. Have we got any up? Has anyone seen any updates come down on that yet? Do we expect anything? He's day to day, is what we're being told. Yeah, done the done the class. Do we know what it is? Mid mid foot, whatever that is. A mid foot sprain or something. Yeah. And then Hill leaves with a hamstring, as we've discussed. That's a probably a better outcome than we could have imagined. I cannot believe that we've not put in the show script Lamar Jackson and that wonder play. What on earth was that about? I mean, that was, is that skill? Is that luck? Or is that just a, a nice combination of both, do you think? It's, it's a little bit very, I think the escape in the sacks, the Lamar's probably the only quarterback in the league that is getting out of that. And then he's, he's falling backwards and he just throws one up towards, I think it was Mark Andrews, or I think he's hoping he's going to go up and moss the guy. And it, it reminded me a little bit of the um, Steve Smith touchdown against yeah. Carolina, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. The, where he came down with it. Um, and luckily Duvernay was there and, and, and picked it up. But yeah, I think there's there's a handful of quarterbacks that would have made made that play. And it, it, when he threw it, we were probably all thinking, oh God, why have you thrown that? And, and then 10 seconds later, we're all screaming and shouting, so. Anything else on the Buffalo Bills game before we get on to our Raven of the Week? Uh, just uh, Yeah, I just wanted to, one thing, which you said, Gaz, actually, while we were sat there watching it, you said sometimes Lamar feels like he has to play hero ball and he take, takes over a little bit. And I think there was times in this game he did that when he didn't need to. But there was other times where he's doing that thing again now where he's so determined to show everyone that he's going to be a pocket passer and he's going to hang in there. But I think there's... There's times when he can just take off. He can. It, there was at least two or three times in this game where he held onto the ball and he's looking and he's looking for someone to get open and no one ever does. And and there was a couple of times where he he had a he had a hole. He could have just taken off, picked up seven eight yards, slid down, and and lived to fight again. Um, so there's that real balance between Lamar taking everything on his shoulders and playing hero ball and trying to prove to everyone still, which I don't think he needs to do that he can be that pocket passer. And that might be because his eyes are in a different place now. His eyes are his eyes are now downfield and he's now looking at coverages and where receivers are when actually yep. in the early days, he's, he, he sort of had a quick glance, thought no one's open, where is the hole and I'm, I'm going. But yep. I, I'm, it's one of those things that always really shows up in the replays and... We, we could only we could only hope to be twenty five percent as athletic as Lamar Jackson is, and we'll never be able to to know what it's like to be in that situation. But it'll be interesting to see how the how the coaching staff react to that, and um, and 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 yeah. Well, one thing one thing I just want to mention: Greg Roman. Back back to the fourth down call. What 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 did you both think of the play call in that situation there? Because. I just thought it just it, it and Shane we can have a conversation about this as well. It just whipped the old shuffle slash shovel pass out in that situation. And what did you think of the play call there? Would would you have had him doing something different? I mean, the, the fact the fact he had two guys 
open probably tells you that the play call was was okay and it was either very well defended by the Bills or or very poorly executed by the O-line and, and a couple of other people. Um, I, I I think I said at the time I'd have kicked the points, so I wasn't even thinking about, about the, the play call. Uh, but I, I, I'm not a big fan of that taking away one side of the field. I think Lamar sort of drifted back and, and, and to his right, which kind of cancelled everything to the left of the field. I don't know if that was by design or, or not. I think if in the moment I was looking at it and thinking, oh, that wasn't that wasn't the play I would have gone with. But if you go back and look at it, basically both tackles lost against their pass rusher. So within, you know, he was at like three steps into his drop and Lamar has just got two massive defensive linemen running at him. Um, they didn't bother. The Bills didn't mark Mike Davis, who was out on the left, who looked completely confused as to what he was supposed to do because he was expecting somebody to be in his face. So he just kind of stood there and there was a safety sort of over him who was watching him and would have tried to come down and stop him getting to the goal line. But I would have fancied his chances if Lamar had seen him and got the ball to him quickly. And then you look at um, the, the route that Duvernay was running. He got open again really quickly and it looked to me like... If that play had been a three-step drop and get rid of the ball, there's a pretty high chance it was a touchdown. But you, if one of the tackles had had lost, Lamar would probably have scrambled out the other side. But they both lost, and he couldn't step up because there was no real space between them. So that's what I was saying earlier about basically everything that could go wrong on that play went wrong. Cool. All right, let's go Raven of the week then. Before we do this week's, uh, Ian, who won on Twitter? Who, what, who got the fan vote last week? Do we know off the top of your head? It, it was Lamar by a landslide. Yeah. It wasn't So that's two two weeks running. So, yeah. Right, okay. Ian, who have you got this week? Uh, don't say Lamar Jackson. I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to. I haven't picked him yet and I don't think I will. I'm going to go with Marlon Humphrey for my Raven Marlon of the week. Marlon Humphrey. Shane, who have you got? Uh, so I was going to go with Marlon Humphrey, but I'm not going to do that now. Um, <clears throat> I, it's tricky because I think that on offense, nobody really shone. Um, but I think I'm going to say Duvernay, who had the best game amongst the offensive players, given that Mark Andrews was kind of taken out of it. And... Um, uh, no other, you know, Bateman didn't really manage to to get a foothold in the game. So Duvernay got four for fifty one, um, and he was, you know, he done everything he was supposed to do on that play that could have been a touchdown. He was wide open for what could have been a game winning score. Uh, so I'm going to say Devin Duvernay. Give me Daniel Farlele. I'll take Farlele. I'll take the offensive lineman. I'll take the big man off the board. Um, as we said in the game review, to go out there for your first start against Von Miller, who's not only easy Von Miller, is also a completely reborn Von Miller this season. He's come out, he's just started with the Bills and he's, he's like he's five years younger. Um, to hold him to no sacks, there was obviously the, the pressures and on the fourth down play we talked about, he was one of the guys who who sort of put Lamar in a bit of pressure. But to go out there in your first game and perform like you did and keep Lamar clean pretty much all day. I'll take Daniel Farlele off the board. Ravens news. Let's talk about Gus. So, he is 
we we actually talk about him again at, at the meet, saying we've not really heard anything from him. It, it I think put something on Instagram four weeks ago saying he's um, working away in the in the background, is is staying off social media because it is hard at work. It's announced this week that he is back at practice, which means he's got twenty one days now to come off the pub. Shane, we're not expected to see. We're not. None of us are expecting to see him this week, are we? We think maybe a, a week of practice and and look to get him back for next week. I reckon so. I think it's too tight to turn around. Although it would, you know, it would be ideal given um, the loss of Justice Hill. But uh, yeah, I think timing wise, it's not going to work out. But um, uh, yeah, I think you're you're right. We can expect to see him maybe for that Giants game. They might decide that they they don't need him for that they might rest him another week but uh, certainly he's his his returns imminent return and then we've also got Patrick McCarry Ian back at practice uh, well let's talk about Patrick McCarry and Ronnie Stanley at the same time i guess the two offensive linemen D- does any of this matter what what matters anymore in the, with this offensive line and more so Ronnie Stanley i guess uh, McCarry being back Good news. He's he's your swing tackle. He can play guard. You can play centre if you need to. So he's he's handy to have around the place. Um, I'm not sure he gets back into the starting lineup now. I I don't know that he does. Um, I think I said this is the week for Ronnie Stanley. I think if he doesn't play this week, I'm not sure he ever suits up again for the Ravens. I just I don't know if it happens. I think I, I think this is a real big big week for Ronnie. Um, he, he practiced today, I think, in full. So it'll be interesting to see whether whether he gets a full week of practice in. Um, He's been just, practicing I, all week, but not on Fridays. But not Fridays, it? yeah. Which is a really strange, if you, does that, does that feel strange if you're injured? Does that feel strange to me? If you you can sort of get there all the week and then before the game, that's, that's what makes me think, and I don't know if this is probably coming across on, on the podcast and we spoke about it. I think we're all in a in a mindset that actually it's maybe more of a, a mental injury and a mental battle now than it is a, a physical battle. That sort of all lines up, doesn't it? It's possible. I mean, it's it's that, or maybe he has his own medical advisors who are giving him advice that's different from the team, or... Yeah, it's difficult to know, really, but it certainly seems as though the fact that he's not practicing on Fridays, and Harbour has essentially said it's down to him now when he returns. So the team has been pretty much open that they seem to think he can come back. So it it obviously seems like he's making the decision for some reason. But um, but yeah, let's see what happens um, for this Sunday's game. It's a curious case as well because you've now got a couple of guys on the roster who are taking up roster spots, but aren't aren't giving you anything. So I know we haven't talked about it, it's not on the show script, but Nick Nick Boyle, for instance, has been active for the last two weeks. He played four snaps against New England. He played zero against Buffalo. Completely, completely active on, on the roster. No one's come out and said, you know, why he's not he's not playing. So there's your your 53 man roster suddenly down to 51 plus the injured guys anyway, you know. There's it's not a talented enough roster that you can you can be carrying guys. Mm-hmm. Right. Okay. Well, come on, Ronnie. We're all rooting for you to get back on that field. Um, it makes such a difference to this team. And actually, we look at the injuries, and it, it's been a, a a rough start to the season for Ravens fans um, in terms of two heartbreaking losses and 
a couple of things that have gone against us. But if this team gets healthy in the back half of the year, we saw what happened to the Bengals last year in, in a similar sort of spot. Uh, a bit of a sluggish start to the season. Got healthy, found that spark. And momentum is such a big thing in the NFL. Um, maybe all the Ravens need is just those, those last few pieces back, the Jenga pieces back, and uh, and we're off to the races. So let's all try and uh, and stay positive this We've got Lamar Jackson on this team, and while ever you've got Lamar Jackson on this team, anything could happen. Speaking of the Bengals, let's start previewing that upcoming game against the Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday Night Football. It's our first late night of the year. So to preview the game, we're going to be joined by Paul from the Cincinnati Podcast and Hooday UK. Um, we had him on last year, and... Last time he came on the podcast, the Bengals went on a, a huge run and they were five seconds away from winning the Super Bowl. So let's hope the same doesn't happen this year, but it'll be good to speak to Paul and catch up and then we'll talk about the game on the other side. Let's go. So to preview the upcoming Sunday Night Football game against the Cincinnati Bengals, we are once again joined by Paul from the Cincinnati Podcast. Welcome back to the podcast, Paul, for the second year. How's things? All right, mate. Yeah, oh. um, things uh, escalated a little bit uh, last year after, I, uh, after we last spoke. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's probably why you got me on. To, do you want me to just go through the season game by game for you until the Super Bowl? Well, or? well to be fair... <laughs> I think when when you came on the podcast, I think, well, in fact, I know for a fact that you, even you then were still picking the Ravens in that game against Cincinnati, and that almost turned that almost turned out to be a turning point in your season. So, without no, going through no, every no game, who I'm going to back this weekend? Then, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, without going through every game, yeah, just talk, talk us through the back end of the season. What what happened, Cincinnati, and. And and how you feel off the back of that Super Bowl and and the defeat and what could have been if um, Joe Burrow managed to to find Jamar Chase downfield? Oh, mate! I mean, what an incredible, unexpected, exhilarating. I mean, you've been there yourself, so you know what it's yeah. like. And it, once you get on that sort of roller coaster and and kind of catch lightning in a bottle however it happens no one can really explain it it's just it was just an insane crazy ride and um <clears throat> and you know up until the bye week last last year we'd lost some ridiculous games we'd won some when i say ridiculous we played good teams like the chargers and the 49ers and um inexplicably gave them like a 14 point lead and and we came back so strongly, but narrowly lost to those guys. And you're kind of thinking, okay, we, we are making progress here. We are a very dangerous team. If they manage just to slot it all together and get some consistency, then who knows what's going to happen. And then after the bye week, they just went on this incredible run. They just, you know, they, they won the close games that they were losing earlier on in the season. Burrowed was just incredible. Um Obviously, you know, you had first-hand experience of what Jamar Chase can do last year. Um, it was just a crazy, exhilarating ride. And, you know, we we seemed to have perfected a way of winning, which was almost like rope-a-dope, you know. We'd, we'd kind of get punched repeatedly <laughs> for, like, a half. 
And then the second half was just a different story. The defense would just shut down teams, and not just any old teams. You remember the the the, the Chiefs game, the regular season game against the Chiefs. You know, we were way behind in that game. Chiefs looked like a Rolls Royce in that first half, as they always do. And then the second half, we just, whatever happened, we just shut them down, made some major adjustments. And we just found a way to win. And we found big plays at the right time. We found turnovers on the other side of the ball at the right time. Everything just came together Um and yeah, I, I, just because of the way we were winning in that Super Bowl, we had a minute or so left to go on the clock. I fully expected us, just because of what we'd done previously in the season, to go down and win that game. And you know, it was a it was a second here or there that uh, you know that made the difference. Unfortunately, now you know that that is uh, going back to the way we were winning. Um, you know, this rope-a-dope style, this kind of absorbing loads of pressure and some points and then coming out and uh, in the second half and just completely turning things around and last-minute drives and all that. That's exhilarating, That, but a lot of people would argue that's not a sustainable way to win, you know what I mean? Uh, and, of course, we didn't win every game in that fashion. We obviously hammered you guys at uh, what was then Paul Brown Stadium, you know, heavily depleted and injury-ridden teams. So we, we did what we had to do in that game and we won very well. Um, we beat the Steelers again, which was, is always very enjoyable and gratifying. Um, <laughs> but um, it, it kind of can maybe kind of the law of averages. You can't win every game that way because it's, it's uh, I don't know, it's, it's not a, it's quite a, a high percentage game to play really. But yeah, what a ride. We had a fantastic time at the fan base, as you can imagine. Loved every minute of it. Totally unexpected. But, uh, you know, I, I, I was around just about for the, for the last Super Bowl in the late 80s. And I just kept telling people, just enjoy it because it will go like a flash. And the Bengals being the Bengals, we probably won't get there for another 10, 20, 30 years. You know what I mean? So just enjoy every single ridiculous moment the build up the craziness out in la you know just enjoy every single moment and um i think we did i think we did where did, where did you watch the super bowl from paul did you did you have a meet up did you all get together or yeah yeah, you... yeah we we had two weeks to organize a super bowl party in london and it's oh, probably cool. one of my <laughs> greatest <laughs> achievements bringing all that together so we we managed to get a venue, 150-odd Bengals fans, three floors of a pub. It was just sensational. Uh, the night was great. Obviously, the result wasn't so, wasn't so great. Um, but, yeah, crazy ride, brilliant fun. And uh, we're already a quarter of the way through the next through the next season, which is insane. Yeah, absolutely. And how, how has that season unfolded for you so far? And where does it leave your expectations for, for where the Bengals might end up? It's. Uh, I I struggle to answer that question really because we we should have been the Steelers week one, and if it wasn't a for a a kind of a freakish injury to a long snapper, and I say freakish only because long snappers only get injured like once in a decade. Do you know what I mean? And then suddenly you realise how important they are. 
so we had an extra point to win, which we missed. We had a chip shot field goal to win, which we missed. And, uh, you know, we committed four or five turnovers that game, so we had no right to win that game. However, we're talking about the Steelers, and they are genuinely rubbish this year. Um, you know, they're tough on defence, as you would imagine. Um, and who knows, Kenny Pickett might breathe a little bit of life into their offence, but they they look really quite poor, actually. Um uh, we should have won that game regardless of the, the turnovers. We had chances. So we may well have been... Dallas, again, we played poorly, but we only lost in the dying seconds. Um, so we could well be 3-1 and one at this stage, which would be a little bit healthier. Um, but there's no doubt at all that we've had a really slow start. They're getting better week by week. Um, they still haven't hit top four yet they're far from it uh the defense has been carrying the team again um so it's been it's been an interesting start not not one that many bengals fans expected really um because you know all the talk was yeah you know let's sort the offensive line out which they seemingly did signing three new starters and uh installing a rookie at left guard um and they were terrible the first two weeks. Absolutely terrible. So it's kind of like, right, okay, that's this is not going to plan. Uh, you know, Borrow is getting here. And, of course, Borrow himself, he's not. He, he's still a few ticks away from being the Borrow of last year. And I think you can put that down to his appendicitis and missing a lot of training camp. He's just not quite as accurate this year. Um, he's made some bad decisions. He's come more under the microscope in terms of you know, how long he holds the ball. Um, you know, obviously the sacks were kind of headline makers last year, the number of sacks that Burrow took and QB hits. But uh, not all of those were on the offensive line. Some of them were really down to Burrow trying to extend the play and and just make something out of nothing. And, you know, mistakes in holding the ball for too long. And he, he showed those things in the first two weeks to the extent that he looked pretty jittery in the pocket and you kind of thought oh no we ruined Joe Burrow you know that horrible thought um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of came into your mind but things have started to settle down uh, I don't know if you saw much of the Miami game um, but we played reasonably well on offense and very well on defense and yes you know obviously the thing with Tua happened and that was terrifying and uh, but again, we did what we had to do, and that was a really good uh, confidence boost, I think. And it feels like the season's back on track again, you know. Well, you've got an interesting week ahead. You, you come in to face a Ravens defence that has really struggled, really struggled for the first two weeks. Um, for, sorry, first three weeks. We Into week four, we... We probably, probably, I think if you said to us going in, you're going to hold the Bills to 23 points, we'd have fancied ourselves to win that. And it was almost the offense that slowed down a little bit. Um, what Have you seen anything of the Ravens this year? How do you sort of think the game's going to look? Yeah, one of, one of the byproducts of being a successful team, again, this is fairly new for the Bengals, so you'll have to forgive me for this kind of childlike innocence here, but... Um, one of the bright products is that you're suddenly thrust into primetime games and yeah. uh, consequently you're free to watch Red Zone uh, more often than you really want to on Sundays. Yep. And, 
yeah, I think a lot of Bengals fans did watch the the Bills Ravens game because you know two marquee teams and two good teams. You know, it's the obvious choice to watch. Um, what am I? What am I made the the Ravens? I do. They're the Ravens. Um, they're tough to beat. They're really competitive. Uh, Lamar's uh, incredible. But I do have a... I read a stat earlier, uh, just literally before coming on, on air. And uh, sounds a bit rude, but you know what I mean. Um, that you have only oh, been in the lead for 14 seconds. No, that's wrong. Yeah, we've only we've got the both opponents have only held a lead for fourteen seconds That's combined. Right. And I don't know, you you seem to be doing the opposite to us, basically. And that is you start off pretty well and can't for whatever reason seem to finish, whereas we start off poorly and then finish relatively strongly. Um where that leaves the two te- I think they're fairly two fairly evenly matched teams actually. Um so I think it's going to be close. But again, we always play you guys close and tough. Um, we always have good games against you. Um, it My big worry in this game, because our offense hasn't clicked, I mean, we don't, our running game is pretty much non-existent. So once again, the load falls on Borrow's shoulders. And it's so, in my opinion, overly reliant on Borrow making the hero play on third and long you know, each each kind of series, it's, um, I don't know, my worry is that we, we may have to go toe-to-toe with you until we wear you down. And this is just kind of judging by what's happened to you guys in the past couple of weeks and start the season. You know, it seems to me that if you can stay toe-to-toe with the Ravens, the Ravens will at some stage late in the second half crack. And that I may be wrong on that, uh, but that seems to be, you know, that's like a drive-by kind of summation of what I've seen. My worry is that the Bengals aren't performing well enough offensively to stay toe-to-toe with you guys. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, Lamar looked sensational in the first half or first three quarters and then not so great in the, in the last quarter. Um, so, again, I think the key to this game is our offence being able to go toe-to-toe until until we wear you guys down. I think you've hit the nail right on the head there. I think, um, first of all, I think with how our defence is played in the second half, I think it's going to be a really good... It, it seems to be a really good game for opposing teams to come in and get healthy in the second half and things will, will, things will start clicking for you. Um, I was unfortunately travelled all the way to Baltimore to be in the stands for the fourth quarter against the Dolphins to watch Joe Burrow throw... Four touchdowns, so that's that's still quite still still right up there in the memory bank. Um, is there anyone not named Lamar Jackson on the Ravens that that scares you going into this matchup? Oh yeah, Mark Andrews. See the guy uh, still. I mean, the Bengals have historically, going back to the Marvin Lewis years, have just been always been susceptible to tight ends down the seam over the middle, mid to short to mid-range stuff. And obviously he had a, he had a couple of big games against us last year. Um, so Mark Andrews, I'm interested that uh, Bateman seems to, um, 
you know, provide, you know, obviously injury free now. And he looks like a player and another valuable target for Lamar. I've got some potential um, good news for you, Paul. I might have some really good news for you. <laughs> go on. He, le- he left last week in a, a walking boot. Oh, did he? Yeah. Oh, sorry. So. I didn't mean. I don't mean <laughs> but, uh, we don't, I we, we still don't know. I mean, we are recording this Wednesday night. We still don't know what it's looking like for Sunday. But um, yeah, there is some. There is something there. So you, you might have got away with that one. Okay. Um, I like the the Ravens secondary on paper. But you look at the last couple of games and then they've been kind of torched. You made a really good... Here's that geezer at the back, the the safety that you signed in free agency. He looks pretty good. Marcus Williams. Yeah, he looks pretty good. Um, I, do you know what? I've always thought the Ravens' defence has been overrated. Uh, they seem to be darlings of the, the media, you know what I mean? And um, I don't know. Again, I'm just talking aloud here. Not as a not as a kind of oh I hate you Ravens because I'm a Bengals fan. I'm just trying to be as objective as possible. Do you know what I mean? Um, but yeah, I certainly um, I like the look of OA on the uh, defensive line. He looks to be good. But these are all just drive by stuff. You know what I mean? I think I think any any team that plays the Ravens has, has got to be the eyes have got to be on Lamar, and the the eyes have got to be on Mark Andrews, and if he plays uh, Rashad Bateman, you know so. I think those are the three. I'm sorry, that's quite a boring, straightforward answer. But I really uh, genuinely think those are your main guys. And um, you may come up with a, you know, a few others that... Uh, I'm interested to see the running games because Dobbins, I think, ma- has made a difference, hasn't he? And um, uh, I've been reading it. Gus Edwards might be back this, this week as well. Maybe that's a bit too early for him. I don't know. Um, but uh, it, Dobbins certainly looks a good player, I think. Um so those, those are the main guys. Those are the main guys. Yeah, Dobbin seems to be um, kind of growing into into fitness as he comes back in, and it's possible. We're not sure about Gus Edwards yet, um, but uh, it seems as though he may be needed um, because we might be shorthanded otherwise. So we'll see. I mean, obviously, Ravens fans will remember just being obliterated by the, the Bengals passing attack last year. Who should the Ravens be concerned about this season? Is it the same thing? Is it a case of whether that secondary gets torn apart or is there something else that should be a concern? Uh, yeah, absolutely, uh, Shane. Uh, the same trio of receivers. You know all about Tyler Boyd. I still think he's one of the most underrated receivers in the NFL. Certainly up there is one of the best slot receivers in the league. Um and Higgins and Chase. Chase has started well, but naturally and predictably, uh, teams are starting to double him. And uh, defense is playing a lot more cover two, tamper two, uh, deep safeties. They're trying to take away um, the uh, the big play that kind of you know really exploded for us last year. Um, which is always going to be the case. You know, you look at a team's strengths, you try and take them away, you know. And um, certainly I think um, uh, Chase, is, they, they're zeroing in on Chase. However, you've got T Higgins the other side, who is also a really, really good receiver. And he's come to the fore the last couple of weeks when teams have tried to double Chase. You can't double everyone. And that's the luxury of our the weapons on in our passing attack. We've also signed someone that you're probably familiar with, Hayden Hurst, who um, mm. 
didn't quite make it with the Ravens because obviously uh, the uh, the explosion uh, of Mark Andrews um, didn't quite make it in Atlanta because they drafted Kyle Pitts, and he's been apps. He comes across as such a, a really good fella, you know, um, yeah. and he's he's absolutely gagging for a chance to to kind of you know really make his mark in this league again and find a place where he's settled. And I think he's loving life in Cincinnati because he's the number one tight end. And I think as the season goes on, you'll, you'll see him more um, in the passing game. And we last week he did well. He scored a touchdown and uh, he I think already he's established a rapport with Burrow. So really, it's the passing attack. You look at the the stats at the moment. I think we're something like twenty six uh, in terms of uh, rushing attack and uh, eighth in the league when it comes to the uh, pass attack, which kind of tells you everything, really. Um, we have not established a run game whatsoever, and I think a lot of Bengals fans are scratching their heads. Really. It wasn't brilliant last year, even though Mixon managed to rush for over 1,400 yards, which, you know, you look at the stat sheet and that's like, well, that's a really good season. And he did have a really good season. But you look at the yards per carry average and it, it's not that impressive. And this year he's something like two yards carry. And they're, they're continuing to hammer that run game, even though it's not working. So, you probably see on first and second down runs, uh, and then that'll leave us in like third and eight, third and seven, pretty long down and distance on third down, and rely on Burrow again to bail us out. That's just the way. That, that I agree with them in some ways. You've got to get that run game going to give Burrow a breather and maybe bring in some misdirection and, and play action into things. But if it, a lot of fans going to say, well, if it's not working, why bother with it? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Uh, and I, a lot of people, a lot of Bengals fans are kind of say, asking, really, trying to figure it out. It's like, is it? Is it Mixon? Is he regressed? Is he not hitting the right spots? He seems to be kind of fond of a cutback or two. Is he, is he not hitting the right holes? Um, is it the offensive line? Are they not blocking? Are they not executing... Uh, the, the scheme as it should be or the play design as it should be? Or is it this blocking scheme and the play calling combined? You know, so you're kind of trying to figure out what's going on because it is abysmal. And um, Mixon this week has had a meeting with the offensive line and tried to sort things out and had a clear the air talks because um, everyone's aware, you know, fans are aware and the coaching staff and the players that are aware that things have got to be better. Mixon's a really good running back, so why the hell is this not working? And I think it might be the fact that the offensive line just perhaps aren't quite in sync yet. Um, again, four new starters on that offensive line. Leo Collins at right tackle, Alex Kappa at right guard, Ted Karras at centre, and the rookie Cordell Volson at left guard. Um they didn't play in pre-season at all. And I know this. I'm coming at this from a Bengals point of view, uh, but they they just didn't have any pre-season reps. Um, and you're kind of seeing that effect on, on their play. They're slowly coming together. Pass protection against the, the Dolphins was 
much, much better. They gave Burrow the cleanest pockets I think he's had for a long, long time. So if they can continue that um, and their progression and their meshing together and their communication and their execution, then hopefully as the season goes on, it'll get better and better and we will establish some sort of run zone. But really, Shane, to answer your question, that was a very long answer, but um, yeah, man, I, I, it's the same. It's the same Bengals from last year. There are no new, real wrinkles there. Um, they are still relying on Burrow. I say Chase has played well, but he's, you know, the microscopes on him in terms of defense. They've been doubling him a lot. T Higgins has done really well, uh, and Boyd's look good as well. So, yeah, it's those that trio really, and maybe adding Hayden Hurst for a bit of, you know, a bit of a fallback. Um, Good stuff. It's so interesting to hear it from the other side. And this is why I love doing this podcast and love getting fans from opposing groups on to, to really get behind. We, we sort of have a look into the Bengals as it's game week and we sort of prepare for what we're going to see, but nothing's quite like the insight of an opposing fan. Paul, you seem like a really level-headed guy. So there's something I, I want to ask you from someone oh. who's in the, organ- in the fan base of the organization. What are your thoughts on Eli Apple? Eli Apple loves to play the villain. He is all over Twitter. He had a quite a big year at the end of, I say big year, on, I mean on Twitter, not on the field, um, at the end of last year and a bit quiet this year. What, as a fan of the team, what do you think of Eli Apple and his, let's call them antics? He's a bit of a really, let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say this. Um... I didn't rate him really yeah. at all um, when uh, when we signed him. I kind of thought, oh, God, I mean, you know, he's not, he's, he wasn't great with the Saints. He, you know, didn't stick around long at the Giants and, you know. However, with all that being said, he has been, aside from the first three or four games last year, he's been terrific. I have to say, I don't know what's happened to him. On the field, I know he gets a lot of stick and I think he brings a lot of stick on himself because, as you said, Gaz, the, the amount of nonsense he talks on <laughs> online. I mean, some of it is just ridiculous. I mean, you want to you want to follow his mom, Annie Apple. Now, that's <laughs> well. The whole Apple family. Um, I don't know. Um, Are you trying to say the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? I, th- I, I was thinking of saying that, but I didn't. I didn't go down that road. Um, yeah, I, I, he's he's a strange one. He on the field, he's genuinely been very good, and he made some really key plays in the in the run up, and certainly down the stretch uh, on the su- uh, during the Super Bowl run. If you if you think about. Um, you know, what was it, four, third and goal or fourth and goal? Um, the last series of the first half against the Chiefs, if we'd have let a touchdown in then, I don't think there was any com- more comeback. We were already like 21 points down or something like that. And he made an incredible play on Tyreek Hill. And obviously that uh, relationship has reverberated <laughs> ever since. Um, and... He had a he had an okay Super Bowl, but obviously he got beat by Cooper Rush. Uh, Cooper Rush, blimey, that'd be something. 
Cooper Cup. <laughs> and um, but then again, a lot of people get beat by Cooper Cup. So you know, he yeah. he un- got unfairly hammered, I think. And that surprised me. I thought, hold on a minute, why is it one against Eli Apple? I'm not quite sure. Then you, <coughs> excuse me, and then you realise that you know he spouts all kinds of nonsense on social media. He's really, <coughs> excuse me, he's really surprised me as a player. And I think it's down to our defensive coordinator Lou Anarumo. He coached him at the Giants. Uh, Anarumo was a defensive backs coach at the Giants. So they previously had a, a relationship there. And I think he just somehow brought the best out of him. I mean, he's a, he was a first-round pick, if you remember, way back when. So he's certainly got some talent and physical traits. Um, yeah, he's a tricky one, Eli Apple. That, I didn't expect to be asked about Eli Apple. But what he has done, he's plugged in nicely. And him and Chido Wuzie form actually a very, very good um, cornerback tandem, and then you add in Von Bell and Jesse Bates. Our secondary is really good and playing really well. And this, there was a stat. I think I'm not really big on stats, hence me getting them wrong all the time. But uh, <laughs> I think it was that they, they hadn't let a touchdown for four, uh, in the second half of 14 games or something like that, you know, or 14 quarters or whatever it was. And a large part of that is down to the secondary. And Jesse Bates came out and said, "Look." We 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 played together for a couple of years now. The communication just on an elite level. It's already feeling like the Super Bowl run in terms of the way we're playing, in terms of the way we react to each other's movements on on the field. You know, so uh, yeah. Say what you like about Eli Apple, and a lot of it would be warranted, I think. But as a player, he's much much better than I <laughs> ever expected him to be, and that's credit to his teammates. And you know. Uh, and certainly the coaches. And sometimes, you know, as sportsmen and women, you just got to find a place that you're comfortable in. And he obviously hadn't, and he has in Cincinnati. So, um, and he was also quite cheap because we just keep signing for one year deals. So, um, yeah, I'm all right with Eli. Me and I, Eli, we're, we're, we're pretty tight. <laughs> Good stuff. Right. Before we let you get out of here, then. Uh, we've got an ongoing um, score prediction competition going between our podcast hosts and the guests at the minute. The combined guests are currently winning this competition. So the pressure is now on you. Can we have a score prediction for this upcoming game? And if you would like some sort of player prop, player X will do Y. It can be on either team. Just how do you think oh, this I game is going to pan out? Um. Well, I'm, I'm going to go for a see if I I should go for a Ravens win uh, to jinx you guys. But Try and repeat last year again. I I mean Lamar's playing really well, and I think it's always a case with Lamar. Um, you just got to bend and not break. You, you're not going to stop him completely. You just got to kind of limit him. If he racks, you know, if he rushes for 200 yards, passes for 500 but only scores or throws for, say, three touchdowns, then you'd be happy with that because you've got a chance to win. And I think that's what you've got to do against the Ravens. Somehow, just bend, not break. Don't freak out when he goes on some crazy, mazy run for 30-odd yards or whatever. Just keep him out of the end zone. Um, And I think we can do that, and we've shown that. Um, 
You will be the best team we face this year, I think. Uh, and as I say, it worries me that we're not, because of the way our offence is stuttering a little bit at the moment and not fully in sync, I'm a bit worried that we won't be able to go toe-to-toe with you. Um, however, I think this might be a breakout game for Mixon. And it might be a breakout. Borrow loves this kind of... Can I swear on the podcast? Am I allowed to do that? Yeah, I mean, I'll edit it out, but yeah, go for it. Um, Burrow loves this kind of... He loves the pressure. He's He he wants it. He needs it. He functions best under it, you know. Um, he's not arrogant. It's just kind of what he loves, what he lives for. And I think this is a big pressure game. Under the lights, we've been actually. If you look at the Marvin Lewis era, we uh, and Andy Dalton, we just completely bottled it in pretty much every you know um, prime time game. But under Burrow and Zach Taylor, it's been completely the opposite. So that speaks the confidence of the team, and I think that that win against the Dolphins really did give them a lot of confidence. They know what they've got to do. I think there will be points in this game. I don't think it's going to be a shootout. Um, I'm going Bengals 20... No, I'm going Bengals 30, Ravens 27. 27 and in terms Ravens. of what's going to happen in terms of players, I think Mixon will either rush 25 times for 17 yards or <laughs> he will rush 25 times for 150 yards because it's it's on that sort of precipice at the moment. Do you know what I mean? It could go either way. So why not? I'm going to say it's a mix and, mix and breakout game. Mix and breakout game. Awesome. Banning that, he's just going to chuck it to T. Higgins in Lavin and the 150-yard game. Well, just keep your eye out for number five in the in, in the secondary. If you see number five in the secondary, whoever the ball, whoever's he's lined up over, it's going for a touchdown. So just keep Who's your that eye guy then? What's his name? Jalen Armour Davis. And I don't think I've ever seen him line up and not give a touchdown away. So um, Jalen Armour Exactly. What? Exactly, but you you're gonna find him in some sort of weird trips coverage. You're gonna find Jalen Amadavis lined up on T Higgins, and it's going for a score. Just where did he that. used to play? Because that as a rookie. Oh no, he's a rookie. Right, right, right. Okay. Oh dear, poor old rookie. <laughs> oh well, well, you know, you got to give what you you know you got to you got to <laughs> take what you're given in these situations. So um, oh. there was a geezer a couple of years ago. Who was it uh, that was rubbish in the secondary for you guys as well? Was it Cassidy? A uh, guy, someone Cassidy, Maurice what? Kennedy, Kennedy. Kennedy that's mm. yeah. Yeah. anyway. There's been a, there's been a, there's been a few over the years. Matt Elam, we, we had a nice <laughs> yeah. I mean, that. I mean, every team has had them. Goodness me, don't get me started on uh, what we had in our secondary a couple of years ago. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Again, should be a tight game. I think. Um, lot at stake. Suddenly, I mean, the, the hilarious thing for Bengals fans last week was we didn't play on Sunday night, but we find ourselves tied for the lead as in North. <laughs> Everyone lost. It was like the perfect weekend for Bengals fans. So, yeah, it's a big one this weekend and I'm looking forward to it. Good stuff. So, Paul, where can we, where can we follow along the podcast on Twitter? Where, where can we get your stuff? Well, if you want to come and say hi, although uh, Ravens fans have been a bit salty with Bengals fans recently. Um, 
Behave. You're going to come and say hello. Behave yourself. Eli, it's Eli Apple. Get Eli Apple out of the mix. Everything has settled down yeah, a lot quicker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are on Twitter at today underscore UK. Uh, Bengals UK on Facebook. We've got Instagram, but does anybody ever go on that for NFL stuff? I don't know. Um, Podcast-wise, Cincinnati is released every Monday evening. Uh, on our hosting site is SoundCloud, and we're on other sites like you know Apple and Stitcher, and all that kind of stuff. So come and check awesome. us out. Come and say hello. It's all good fun. Awesome. Well, thanks, Paul. Appreciate your time this evening. Looking forward to a late game on Sunday night. And yeah, let's let's see let's see how it goes. Thanks for your time, and we'll catch up with you next time around. Good to see you guys. Thanks, cool. thanks, Paul. Cheers. Thanks, Appreciate Paul. It, And there goes Paul from the Cincy Natter podcast. It's so interesting speaking to Paul because he's one of the the guys and the guests that get on that just give you such full answers. And it really helps you go into the game with so much more of an understanding about what we can expect in the upcoming game. Before we talk about the upcoming game, let's talk about the... What we're doing this week, Shane, is it the Ravens and the Bengals or is it Baltimore and Cincinnati and how they connect together in the past? Uh, so it's it's a bit Cincinnati and Baltimore, I guess. Um, so the weird thing about the Bengals, and I don't know if you've noticed this, is um, that they they basically uh, play wearing Cleveland Browns helmets. And um, this was kind of more obvious when they started in the, in the AFL in the 60s because they did just wear, like, orange Cleveland Browns helmets with Bengals written on them. They hadn't done the whole stripes thing. They just said Bengals on the side. <clears throat> and why that's interesting is because the, the uh, group that founded the Cincinnati Bengals was led by Paul Brown. And Paul Brown, Paul Brown's family still own uh, the Bengals. But Paul Brown is the guy that the Browns are named after. Uh, so he was the first head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Um, there was, he didn't want them to be called the Browns, but he was kind of a legendary coach in Ohio because he'd coached a high school team called the Massillon Tigers, had massive success. Um, loads of people loved him, so they wanted to name the team after him. Eventually, the owner kind of gave in and they called them the Cleveland Browns. Uh, a few years later, it all fell apart when a certain Art Modell brought the team, didn't really get on with Paul Brown, and uh, so he fired him. So Art Modell, obviously, as we know, is the guy who moved the Browns to Baltimore and turned them into the Ravens, firing Paul Brown, although Brown had a reputation for being quite difficult, but it amounts pretty much to sacrilege. I mean, he's the guy who kind of invented modern coaching as it is now. So the process of calling plays from the sideline, for example, rather than having your quarterback call the plays, Paul Brown came up with that. Film study was something that Paul Brown basically turned into a system and created a whole uh, way of breaking down an opponent studying the game. And there's a long list of stuff that he invented. And as I say, he was a legend in Ohio. So firing him as coach of the Browns was was a massive scandal. Uh, so he went away harboring a grudge as, as he had a tendency to do and then resurfaced um, with the announcement that he was his spearheading the creation of another team in Ohio, the Cincinnati Bengals, who, as I say, suddenly turned up basically wearing 
wearing the Cleveland Browns hats. Um, and there's a number of reasons. Nobody's quite sure why they play in Cleveland Browns hats. That's the that's the strange thing. Some people think it's a nod back to the Massillon Tigers and because they played in a similar kind of helmet. So Paul Brown was going back to his high school days. Some people think that he did it purely to annoy Art Modell, which he may well have done. Um, certainly, if you know anything about Paul Brown, he was petty enough that he might well have done that. But the story that I like best that I've read in a couple of books, I do hope this is true, is that basically Paul Brown just had the stuff that he just had a load of Cleveland Brown stuff that he brought with him. And <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals, to this day, are known for being quite a cheap franchise. And so the theory is that he was just like, I've got all of this equipment that I've bought. We may as well just use this. So they used those helmets. So, um, so yeah, there's the kind of link there between the Bengals and Armadale and the Browns and the Browns turning into the Ravens and so on. And, and why two of the teams in the AFC North seem to wear the same helmets. It took the Bengals getting to the Super Bowl to decide we should maybe build an indoor practice facility. Imagine how good we could be if we could practice when it was snowing outside. That's, that's still how cheap to this day the Bengals are. That they I don't think it's actually built yet. I think they basically have a tent for when it's snowing. So um, the cheap Bengals continue. So let's look ahead to that Bengals game. Ian... What do you think here? How do we how do we beat these Bengals? Do we beat these Bengals? <laughs> do we beat them? It's a, d- a different question. Uh, how do we beat them? I, it's tough, isn't it? That that receiving call just gives you nightmares. We all, we all watched the games last year. Um, I've banged on about their secondary and how how I think it's good. Well, well, now they've got to, they've got to prove it. They've got three very good wide receivers. Um, Humphrey, Peters, Stevens is probably going to play as the third, the third corner. I think the the one shining light that the Ravens have this year that they didn't have last year is, is Marcus Williams. And, and this is the game they sort of brought him in for. This is as as Paul told us, a lot of people are, are playing that cover two, Tampa two against against Burrow now, making him take the underneath stuff and sort of work his way down the field rather than these these big chunk plays. I think I saw today that the Bengals are in the bottom third of sort of explosive plays in the league, whereas last year they'd have they'd have probably been top two or three. Um, so you really keep everything in front of you, make them go long drives the length of the field. Um, and it's going to be a question of, of whether our pass rush can turn up against what is still a, a leaky offensive line. Um, the Bengals' defence is very good. Their, their secondary is good. They get pressure on onto the quarterbacks with their front seven, and and they've played us pretty pretty tough um, for a few years now. I think they they know what they're doing on defense. So it's just it's just a case of whether we can slow down that that burrow offense enough. Um, and I don't think we're any of us are gonna. I, I don't imagine Shane or yourself are probably gonna stay up for this one. So I'm probably gonna have a, a lonely night on my own. But. Even if we jump out to a 15, 20 point lead, I'm I'm not going to be confident at all. <laughs> What's the score got to be at halftime for you to start with the really confident tweets that we've oh, definitely got this, this game no, away? Nothing. I, I was saying, <laughs> when we had Steve on, my friend, who was the Dolphins fan, at halftime in the Dolphins game, I texted him and said, I'm still nervous. And he replied to me and said, I've turned the game off. It's over. Don't Don't be so stupid. And I was still pacing around at halftime in that game. I'm a terrible watcher of the Ravens. 
So I, I don't care what the score is. There's, there's always a fourth quarter comeback. But this, this Baltimore Ravens particularly really does underline that old coach's cliche at halftime of like, you know, if if they could score that many points in the first half, then we can score that many points in the second. I mean, that's, that you know, it's the same 30 minutes and this team has really demonstrated that any lead they can put up in the first half, they can give away in the second. So, yeah, I'd, I, I'm, I'm with you and I'm quite nervous about how this team is is going to turn out. But like I was saying earlier, the the crucial thing really is getting Joe Burrow under pressure. His completion percentage is very high generally. He doesn't throw a lot of incomplete passes. Uh, he doesn't turn, turn over the ball all that much. But he does it much more when he's under pressure than when he's not. Um, and I suspect... If the Ravens are playing cover two or showing cover two, then it's going to be a cover two man rather than a, a Tampa two or a, or a cover two zone because I think their zone coverage has been pretty gappy. There's been a tendency for big gaps to open up between the secondary and the linebackers and receivers, particularly receivers of the caliber of the Bengals, uh, are going to get into those gaps and find those holes. And if you're not getting pressure on Burrow, then he's going to have plenty of time to to get those big gains. I think you've got a better chance of slowing that down if you're playing some man coverage with a, a, a two a two deep shell over the top. But you know, even then, you've got a game to get the ball out quickly because otherwise, those receivers will find space. Okay, let's get in some predictions. We won't spend too much time on this because Paul was so thorough um, during the interview. The scores, the scores, the scores, the scores. The guests are still winning. Guests are still winning with a score of four. Um, falling into second place is myself and Shane with a score of three um, because we did pick the correct winner for last week. Um, Ian and James falling behind with two and Ben up with a lowly one. Shane, what do we have for this week? So I can see this game going either way, more so than any of the games up to this point. But I still think this it's two teams kind of figuring themselves out, but I think the Ravens are a little bit further away from figuring themselves out. So I think the Bengals are going to edge this slightly. I'm going to say 27-21 to the Bengals. And in terms of a player prop... Um, uh, you can't really pick a player prop for the other team, can you? That seems that seems kind of un uh, uncharitable. I'm going to go with um, I'm going to go with what am I going to go with? I'm going to go with a um, I'm going to say another Marcus Williams interception. Marcus Williams interception. I think I sort of predicted the Bills wouldn't punt last week, so I guess that I was did. something about the other team. Um. Okay, I'm I'm happy. I'm happy with that, Ian. What have we got? I I need the points, obviously. So um, <laughs> I really going to pick against the Ravens. I really wanted to. I really wanted to pick the Bengals, but Shane's done it now, so I'm going to have to flip. I'm going to go 27-24 Ravens. And I was going to go really stupid with my prop, but you reading out the scores, I need I need the points. So I was going to say something <laughs> stupid like uh, Duvernay has more receiving yards than Jamar Chase, but I think that's too risky. So I'm going to go for a complete jinx, I think. Joe Burrow so far this season has been sacked 16 times. 
Lamar Jackson's been sacked eight times. I'm going to say that Joe Burrow doesn't get sacked in this game. Doesn't get sacked. Wow. Well, me and you are definitely against each other with our predictions <laughs> this week. I'm, I also really, really pained myself because I really, I really want to be, I've always wanted this to be a very supportive, positive podcast. And we have sort of gone off the rails a bit this year and we do need to sort ourselves out a bit. Um, I, I really want to pick the Ravens here. I just, the Ravens haven't won at home yet. And this game, unfortunately, is at M&T Bank Stadium. And I just think, as Shane, you've said, I think they just figured, I think Cincinnati are just going to figure themselves out a little bit more. I'm going 30 to 26 Cincinnati. I was going to do some sort of painful prop where the Ravens led for at least 59 minutes of the game. (laughs) 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 Something, Something horrible. But I'm going to try and... Get, take some positive from this. Even though the Cincinnati will find a way to win, I'm going to go for a daffy away to be called two sacks. Or at least two sacks. Let's keep it open. Not exactly two sacks. At least two sacks for a daffy away. We've mentioned it quite a lot throughout this podcast. The meetup was a roaring success. We have another one planned week seven at the Showtime Bar in Huddersfield where it's the Ravens versus the Cleveland Browns. So what's that? Three weeks, two weeks away? Three weeks away? Bad at maths. Um, so the Cincinnati game, two and a bit. We, get, we then go to the Giants, and then it's the Browns game. So I'm going to try and be at that one. We're talking about Christmas, Ian. I know we're not really ready to announce anything yet, but if anyone wants to start pencil it in the diary, we're looking at the 11th of December at the moment. Did we decide... We, What's an odd thing for the UK Ravens podcast is we've got to work this around the World Cup. We should have to work our meetups around the World Cup. What is, what is this about? I, I was looking at the fixtures. Yeah, I got scared off of a couple of potential big games. So, yeah, very, very roughly pencil in. But yeah, the 11th, which I think is the first Steelers game, isn't it? Would be a sort of a good time to have a, a pre-Christmas, pre-Christmas meetup. Cool. So pencil it in. We will come back to you online if we get something. I think we're going to try and do something up north as well as down south. Maybe Leeds and London as we have in the past. Unless there's anything else from you guys, we'll be back on the 13th of October where we're going to be reviewing the Ravens' win over the Bengals. Rounding up the news and previewing our first AFC North game of the season because we have not updated this script. And as you know, <laughs> if you put it on the script, <laughs> I will read it. So we then go up to MetLife Stadium to play the Giants next week. So we'll be previewing that game. If you'd like to be involved with the show, please email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. And until next week, go f*** yourself, Ravens fans. Thank you for listening to the UK Ravens podcast. This podcast is created, hosted and produced by members of the UK Ravens. Join the community on social media at UK Ravens and facebook.com forward slash UK Ravens. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the UK Ravens podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts. To be involved with the show, email us at ukravenshow at gmail.com. For more info, links, and to stay up to date, visit www.ukravens.com. It's a bit of a knob, really, let's face it.